Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land where I am now, the Awapakal people, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. My guest today, Michael J. Leach, is a poet and senior lecturer at Monash University School of Rural Health in Bendigo. Michael undertakes quantitative research, lectures on areas such as demographic, um, demographic methods, and runs poetry workshops to encourage reflection and empathy among healthcare students. He holds a Bachelor of Pharmacy, a Graduate Certificate of Science in Applied Statistics, a Certified Health uh, Information Australasia, uh, that's CHIA Certificate, a Master of Biostatistics, and a PhD in Pharmacoepidemiology. Michael's poems have been published in many places, including things like Cordite, uh, MJA, Medical Journal of Australia, Medical Humanities, the Mathematical Intelligencer, Otoliths, Graviton, Meniscus, Plumwood Mountain, uh, I could go on, uh, and also the Antarctic Poetry Exhibition. So um, Michael's poem, I recall when the kind ICU staff kept calm, was commended in the 2021 Hippocrates Prize, congratulations, uh, and his debut poetry collection, Chronicity. Uh, is the subject of our conversation today and was published by Melbourne Poets Union in November 2020. So, Michael, welcome. Thank you so much, Maggie, and uh, I appreciate this opportunity to chat with you this morning. It's a pleasure, uh, pleasure for me. Uh, so can I ask you to please just open the show with uh, a poem of your choice? Certainly. Uh, well, I feel it might be fitting to open with the first poem in Chronicity. Uh, so this is a poem called The Sense of Something. The sound of something break in. The feel of something aching. The smell of something sickening. The sight of something thickening. The taste of something off ending. The sixth sense of something transcending. Mm. I love the way you, you read that and the way you um, mirror the, the, the visuals on the page with, uh, with sound. It's quite a, a different thing to listen to it than it is to read it. Do you see those as, um, you know, maybe um, almost like separate poems, certainly separate mediums? Well, yes, uh, uh, separate mediums. I would say, though, that I, I composed this poem while being mindful of both the, the sound and the appearance of the words on the page. Uh, it was challenging in some instances to, to capture a sound in words. Perhaps the, perhaps the easiest one for me to capture was this one, this, um, this sense, this sixth sense of transcendence above the, the sound and the other, um, five, uh, the other four senses. Mm -hmm. So this inherent spiritual sense that allows transcendence over the other senses. And that's a stretching out of the words over the page, uh, as I attempted to do there with the, the stretching out, the transcendence at, at the end. Um, and one of, the, one of the hard ones, though, to capture initially for me was that sound of, 
of breaking and um, to capture that visually, I, I took the advice of the editor of Chronicity, uh, Tina Giannoukas, uh, suggested I, um, I tried dropping a, a mug on the ground to, to listen to the sound of the breaking and also observe the breaking. And that ended up giving me the inspiration to, to break the line the way I did and to visually show that large K with the K. So you get the break in and yeah, I think that that might've strengthened the poem both on the page and uh, when it's delivered in, in an oral format. Mm, what, a, what a wonderful visceral way of, uh, of bringing that, you know, that sense of, of something breaking and, and all its implications into the work. You can really feel it. Well, yeah, yeah. The idea recurs throughout, the, the breaking recurs throughout, but then also um, almost in opposition to that, the transcendence mm. occurs throughout to, to rise above such breakages. Yeah, I, I almost feel like it's, I mean, it's a perfect poem to begin the book with because it, it kind of, um, firstly, I guess it's it's life. <laughs> it's a kind of, I guess it's a, a very encapsulated and uh, abbreviated version, but it, it does strike me as this is what life is. That's one way of looking at it. And also, you know, a lot of those things play out in different poems through the, the collection. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you that you um, noticed that and, and felt that it um, yeah it is repeated uh, throughout the collection and fits thematically. Yeah. So tell me how the book came together as a collection. I mean, there's definitely to me it feels very much like um, there is uh, there is a coherence between each of the poems. Um, did you start off with individual ones and then suddenly go, yeah, I've got enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or was there a theme that you were working with? Well, I think at the back of the, my mind, there was a theme I was working with and gradually producing these poems over time. Um, they were initially published, most of them, in a range of journals, as you've mentioned, so some in um, literary journals, um, most of them in... Uh, scientific and health-related journals, some that are aimed at being interdisciplinary journals like the journal Medical Humanities. Uh, so I was, I was working on these pieces over a period of um, five, five to eight years and realised over time that there's this theme of chronicity in the pieces. So um, the experience of illness over a long-term period, these longitudinal um, journeys that people undergo and the resilience that people show while they're, um, they're experiencing um, ill health. So this is what led to the, the poems coming together into a collection. And, and as I was including pieces, I, I thought that the word chronicity fit well and then realised that there are other pieces that I wanted to include that also related to the concept of time more broadly. And, and as I sat with that title, chronicity, a bit longer, um, I came to realise that um, the, the, the concept of time more generally fits with the the derivation of the word chronicity, which, which came to English through the older Greek word, chronos, 
Um, so the word chronos literally means time in Greek. So at heart, my book, Chronicity, is a poetry collection about time and the time during which us humans live uh, in sickness and in health on this earth, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. And, and I guess, you know, it, it strikes me, um, and, and I work a lot with science too, that often, and it strikes me with your work, that there's this, this sense that, you know, you can look at a word and, and what makes for the poetry is, you know, thinking about all the implications of that and the different ways of drawing it out or, or connecting it, you know, connecting, for example, the, the, um, the medical with the human condition or the, you know, the, this sense of, um, you know, what does it mean to be a human? Well, you know, in some cases, um, it, it's a chronic condition. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it can be a, it can be a chronic uh, condition that you're, that you're facing. Um, it may in some cases be chronic, like a long-term uh, love that you're experiencing as well. And there's, there's poems related to, to love between people. Yes. in this collection yes. as well. Yes, I'll get back to that too. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but I also feel, um, and all through the book, I felt this, um, you talked about the, the breaking of the mug. Um, there really is um, very much a visceral nature to the work, not just in the words and the rhythms, um, but I, I felt when I was reading the book that some of the shapes, and maybe this is your medical background, but we're kind of opening in the reader, maybe this is the intention, maybe it's just me, I romanticize a lot, but um, kind of opening a pathway to receiving the work. So, I mean, I'm thinking, for example, um, of the pharmacokinetics of paracetamol, which uh, I actually found, I, I found as I was reading it, that it was soothing, almost as if it were administering <laughs> the, its, uh. its, its treatment um, as the paracetamol dissolved, you know, that, you know, I had a headache when I was reading it. Right. <laughs> and, and I found it quite soothing to read the work. Wow, like th therapeutic um, poetry. <laughs> well, it was, you know, shaped like a, a hypodermic. So, uh, yes, almost as if it were being administered rather than being read. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, d I do use shapes a lot in this collection and I, I like to use them in different ways. So, um, sometimes to add meaning to the poems, sometimes to, um, to slow the reader down, to give space to, to breathe and um, reflect on what is being said um, and often that that can be like scientific concepts and such um, and there's different ways to to interpret some of the images too so one of the poems in the collection longitudinal is a um, sort of semicircular shaped image and when I've shown that to people in in presentations in the past I've, I've seen I've seen it interpreted differently um, I was thinking when I first produced this poem, that it was a um, like a half moon shape, and the half moon's mentioned in the poem, but others have seen it in different ways, and some some people have said it's the shape of a human breast, for example, or um, or different or shape of um, of the planet half half the planet Earth. Um, but yeah, there's different ways, and so for this poem, pharmacokinetics of paracetamol. I was thinking too with the shape of it, there's a there's a rising up and a coming down. Uh, would you would you like me to read read this one? Perhaps then we can talk about it more. 
Yeah, sure. Um, just before you read it, um, and uh, you know, you, this won't come across in the reading, but in the actual, um, the way it's laid out in the book, you've got um, longitudinal next to um, the wonderfully titled <laughs> an abbreviated case study in geriatric orthopedics, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, your acronym poem, but it's, it's lovely the way those two play off each other so that you actually have that the semicircle of longitudinal um, contrasted with the opposite semicircle of, of the acronyms so that you get a full circle across the two pages. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you appreciated that. And, um... It's sort of a, a counterpoint. One, the abbreviated case study one is more from the health professional perspective, viewing the patient, whereas the one on the right longitudinal is more from the patient perspective, how they're experiencing the healthcare journey. Um, so yeah, they're, they're reflecting each other yeah. in different ways. And there's, there's like a lot of scientific terminology jargon in the abbreviated case study one, those acronyms, but less so in the one beside it longitudinal is more... Um, plain language and, and more metaphor, I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, would, would you read it? It'd be great. Uh, longitudinal? Sure. Okay. Hear it trickle. Watch it make ripple as your winter woolly prickle and that familiar pain briefly cripple. Cup it in shaky hands like hourglass sand. Feel time slipping away into a forgotten path. Feel cold and alone yet prepared to take a stand. To fight the good fights and feel better at long last. Hear the underdog howling at all phases of the moon. Smell an evening meal that's nearly ready in the kitchen. Continue smiling and laughing and whistling a sweet tune. While battered spirits take off like bulletproof clay pigeons. Those cogs in your body's clock begin to turn less erratically. In time with your calmer mind as you lay there so angelically. Stare at this ceiling in half-light. Envision a view through a skylight. See stars beyond a half-moon and consider what'll happen soon. Reread a list of your life goals and consider each one logically. It's very hard to strike gold, but you will do so metaphorically. Sense your life expectancy lengthens smidgen by smidgen. Cast shadows on a cautious optimism in the late afternoon. Give thanks for your GP, medical specialists and surgeons. See this black pond reflect the white light of a half moon. Do not forget your own part when you actors are cast. Remain smart, funny, kind-hearted and in command. Learn how a fish out of water can still stand fast. 
scatter sands until the new moon is at hand. Until that old pain no longer cripples as your summer dress crinkles. All water makes ripples. Hear it trickle. That was, that was, it was a very um, rounded reading. <laughs> I really got the sense of, again, I'm probably just visualizing it in my head, but it, it did feel quite um, half moony. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> it came, rose up and then back down. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like the readings are very, very sonic, um, very much like sound poetry in the way they come across, um, which is, is quite the trick. Um, when the poetry has relied on its placement on the page in the book. Ah. Well, yeah, this was this was the very first poem, I, like serious poem I wrote and published back in 2015. Um, and at, at the time I was listening to a lot of music and I've always listened to a lot of music, always brought the albums and read the lyric books while I've been listening to the music. I've always been interested in, in the, the words. Um, how they sound and how they look. So I think that might have come across in in the way I work um, on the page and um, also when when delivering the the poems orally. Yeah. Yes, Laurie Anderson, Christian book. I can hear it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I, I, another thing that you have throughout the book is a kind of um, constraint. That constraint may be the visual constraint. Um, it may be um, it may be you know a, a formal constraint like the villanelle, for example, um, or it may just be that it's ekphrastic. Um, so that's my lead-in to ask you if you could uh, want to get one more. No, maybe two more. I'm going to get two more, and I think uh, um, <laughs> if I could get you to read the ekphrastic poem that you've got in there, Frida Kahlo's backbone. Ah, uh, certainly. So Frida Kahlo's backbone. And there's a note here after her painting, The Broken Column, 1944. Frida Kahlo was born in July, 1907 in old Coyoacan, Mexico. She was six years old going on 47 when polio struck her down. She survived with a shriveled leg and threw herself into sport. Proud parents doped the bright fire of young Frida's quick mind. At 18, Frida was in a motor crash that fractured her to pieces. Though she was lucky to be alive, her life gold burned to ash. Frida went from aspiring doctor to patient trapped in body casts. She was alone in pain and unable to ambulate for near a year. She began to create oil paintings that mirrored her pained life. Diego Rivera loved her portraits of her own body and mind. They became a married couple, old painter and new painter. Frida suffered a miscarriage then painted her beloved fetus. In her art, she birthed herself into 
a blood-stained landscape, the resilient love between Diego and Frida was often tested. Diego's affair with Frida's sister made Frida crop her hair. Frida divided into two Fridas with the power of self-nurture. She processed her darkest memories while soaking in bath water. She offset the darkness with vibrant strokes of colour and humour. Her art was exhibited and praised in Mexico, the US and Europe. Picasso praised her art and gave her gold hand-shaped earrings. Frida connected with art lovers who felt her loneliness and pain. She had many orthopedic surgeries only to continue suffering. She painted a still life of watermelon pieces as the end closed in. Frida Kahlo left her body in July 1954 in Old Coyoacan, Mexico. Her body of work captured a tendency to show plenty of backbone. So clearly there were multiple constraints in that. Um, one of the constraints being that you wanted it to, I guess, visually pick up the, the picture, that idea of the spine um, in the way you wrote it. And they were like line, it's, it's uh, just describing it for listeners, they'll just have to buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are different lengths of the lines and it forms a column in the middle of the, the page. Um, did you, again, how do you begin with that constraint? What, what's, what's the impetus for you? Well, this, this particular poem was born out of uh, engaging with Frida Kahlo's artworks, and that includes the broken column predominantly. Um, and so I wanted this piece to reflect the painting both in words and the appearance of those words. Uh, so it, it became a matter of... Um, of producing the content and then adjusting that content, sort of sculpting it down in a sense to that, um, that particular shape until I had it uh, as I wanted it. And as, as um, I think reflects um, the idea of, um, of the vertebrae of, of Frida Kahlo mm -hmm. as being um, intact but then in in this this chat book they're actually broken across the page as well um which i think um, fits with the idea of the breakage and um frida's resilience incredible resilience throughout her life and the difficulties she experienced and it picks up that in the very beginning as well that you you in the first poem Yes, yeah, it, it, it picks that up. Um, yeah. And um, I think it relates to, to this emerging interdisciplinary field of health humanities and, and also art therapy that's, that have been established. Um, so, yeah, Frida, Frida used art 
as a way to not only cope with a, a bedbound convalescence and lifelong pain, but to gradually become an influential artist who exhibited works all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this piece, I really wanted to provide a, a poetic tri- tribute to, to this amazing woman. And, and <clears throat> famous backbone. Yes, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and, and there is a, you know, I, I did find that, um, you know, it's a serious book, but there's a, a lovely and consistent sense of humour throughout it, almost, a, you know, playing scientific precision off emotion. There's poking fun at the idea of, you know, um, the, the, the way in which, I guess, science names things or um, formalises the study, you know, and the, uh, I guess, maybe the um, uncontrolled nature of human emotion. Yes, yeah, I did want to play with um, scientific language where I could and um, in a way that can inform and possibly also entertain audiences as a way to draw them in. Um, And I think that that visual component can also potentially draw in audiences too. So, yeah, I I do show a lot of my images on um, social media such as Instagram and I hope that that can be a way to engage the public in science in, in relation to this um, interdisciplinary field of science communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a great example of that. We're, we're going to go a little over time if you can manage it, um, but I, I want to get one more poem in there. Um, and a great example of, of that um, sense of humour and the playing of scientific precision of emotion is um, N of one. Um, and that is the love poem, of course. So if I could get you to read that, that'd be great. I'd be happy to, thank you. N of one. I take a convenient sample from the small sampling frame at the party. I sample one person, you. We talk over ice, water, before you take my hand and lead me outside, saying you have something to show me as my eyes study the symmetrical beauty of your fire-lit faith. Cerebral matter recognises patterns and makes new discoveries. A wrinkle here, a scar there. I consider reaching out to touch your flushed cheek. But the moment has already evaporated, transmuting into the next one. Suddenly you are a body in motion. I step back to observe the physics of your physique, dancing gracefully through space and time, cutting cleanly through free-floating atoms, the elements of this country air that we inhale, your wrists twist before me so dexterously that you could be working bright magic. I am transfixed by the show, that aluminium staff you brandish twirls rapidly before me, glowing warmly at each end as flaming wicks give off photons to a starry moonless night. 
my eyes cannot keep up with the light. The ring of fire that you twirl with practiced ease chases itself into infinity and back again while undulating like a Mobius strip. The smell is combustive, the sound aerodynamic, the sight hypnotic. I close my eyes but still see your fire twirling on the backs of my eyelids. In this afterimage I glimpse a familiar face lit by flame. I consider my sample size. N equals one. And there's the transcendence. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Just to go back to the first poem. Uh, lovely, wonderful. Um, look, I, I do have to ask you one more question. I really admire the way you brought your creative practice into your academic job. Um, like the, you know, the poetry workshops for healthcare students, for example, that's, that's quite concrete. Um, I, as you know, I also work in the area of research and innovation. And I, for many, many years, um, I've, I've thought of my creative practice as a hobby, which I did outside of my job. But more and more, I'm actually seeing um, the need for, you know, working with the kind of complexity, holding opposing perspectives and tension, you know, like quantum and Newtonian physics, for example, <laughs> or commercial versus moral impact. You know, these, these are things that, that are often um, in tension with one another. Um, but that is something that poetry can handle and does beautifully. And, and you know, and I'm feeling more and more that the business or, or, or academic world really needs that kind of, um, that kind of poetic vision in order to, you know, well, you know, not to be dramatic, but in order to survive into the, you know, into the next century. Um, and, and at least to, you know, to ensure that we're, we're working in a way that is ethical or, you know, teaching our students in a way that is appropriate. Um, so I just wanted you to, to maybe just talk about that, you know, about the, the idea that being a poet is actually part of your job, job qualification, um, not in addition to your job qualifications. Well, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have um, a proportion of my role dedicated to, to teaching um, in the area of health humanities and also doing some research in the area of health humanities. So I, I collaboratively run these, um, these haiku writing workshops with students. And um, so we have the opportunity in those workshops to to reflect on clinical experiences on um, visual writing prompts I show. So um, images related to healthcare experiences and also on um, personal experiences. And then uh, students can write about those as a means to, um, to reflect on those experiences, perhaps to sharpen their observational skills and also um, hopefully to develop empathy and um, ability to to handle complexity um, to a greater extent. I think that um, the world's so complex and um, focusing on just a, a scientific approach to life is 
it's inherently um, limiting. It um, it doesn't account for so much variation and um, and difficulty um, dealing with particular topics, particular challenges you can face in in one particular topic. So opening up to to a broader, more holistic perspective that that poetry can do so well, um, I think is is really something important and something that um, the world needs a lot more of. For sure. Maybe the message didn't get through to the, the government in terms of their fear. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I like to that say point. that. Yeah, I like to say that the um, yeah the the health sciences and the health humanities together give true holistic health. Um, and I, I there is a quote I, I love to. Um, it's by Raymond Chandler, a novelist, American novelist. He said this in 1938. Uh, the truth of art keeps science from becoming inhuman and the truth of science keeps art from becoming ridiculous. So they, they're complementary. I see, I see these areas as complementary to each other and you don't want to go too far one way. Yeah. Uh I agree. Wonderful. Um, okay, I have kept you longer than, than the 30 minutes I promised. Um, but just, just to finish off, um, where can listeners go to find a copy of, buy a copy of Chronicity or find out more about you and your work? What's the best place for them? Uh, so um, I do have a... Um... I do have a, we a website where contact details for Melbourne Poets Union are available. So it'd be best to get in touch with Melbourne Poets Union in the first instance. Um, the book's also available in um, some bookstores, so Dimmick's Bendigo, um, and, yeah, hopefully more bookstores soon. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, it was wonderful talking to you today. Thanks so much, Maggie. It was a pleasure. Bye.